So I'm going to start, we're going to share a, a little, if we put that picture of um, the, the Colosseum in Ephesus, if we can find it there. Um, we're going to be um, looking at a, uh, a passage from Ephesians today, and um, this Colosseum could actually hold 21,000 people, so it's quite a big church when Paul could hang out there and maybe preach there, and... Um, and we're part of that, and we're going to read this uh, from this amazing book. But what I've done, because if you've been here before, because I want to read a chapter and a half of Ephesians, and what I've done is I've asked Paul to read it, because every verse to me becomes a preach. <laughs> and I know you want to have you looking in lunch. So, <laughs> so Paul, if you'd please come up. He's not kidding. No. We preached Ephesians for two years. And... And um, yeah, it took me two years, and I think we did two chapters. <laughs> so, um, but as he reads this, uh, I want you to. Sorry, I'll um, put it off a bit too soon. As, he, as we read this, uh, I want you to really concentrate and listen to what Paul is saying in this. This is a super rich passage of scripture with a lot of theology, a lot of amazing, amazing stuff. And so really, I, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will, through the, through the divine-inspired Word of God, speak to you just through this. So, Father God, I thank you for your Word. Lord, it's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Lord, it's what we build our lives on, Lord. But it's just not a written Word, it's the rhema Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you prepare our hearts to hear and to read what the Spirit of the Lord will have us here today, in Jesus' name. So Ephesians 1, if you're following along, says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through the blood of Christ or through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the ministry, or sorry, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the will of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. 
For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the ones to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body in the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Chapter 2 says this, as for you, you were dead in your sin, in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable great sorry, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wonderful, thank you. What a rich passage. I mean, we could just stop there right now. And um, so I encourage you to maybe start studying, going through Ephesians. We, in the Bible study, uh, in the Bible school, School of the Bible on Tuesday nights, which you're welcome to come to, and they're also put online, uh, we're looking at spiritual warfare. And we know that um, Ephesians 1 starts about authority, and, and Ephesians 6 speaks about being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So in a sense, that will tie, this will tie in a little bit uh, with that. And um, so I believe what Paul is wanting to establish uh, in this letter is two major themes. The first is to establish who we are in Christ, our identity. And the second is to establish the authority we have given in Christ. And last week we looked at the two types of relationships last, the last two weeks that we have and we need to have in order to succeed 
as Christians. We have a vertical relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we need to feed our spirits. We need to spend time in the presence of God. You can listen to that online. And we have horizontal relationships with each other, we have, um, which is important, the body of Christ. We, we heard about that. And to be successful Christians, and if you'd like to go back and listen to them, uh, we cannot have the one without the other. There's no ways we can work this out with just God and ourselves and outside of community. And there's no ways we can have community without communion with God. And that's what God intended. And that's why the church is here. Ephesians 2.10 says that, that it's through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be revealed to mankind. God has no plan B. You're it. Look around you. It's through you and I. You see, it's in the presence of God. We're going to start talking about identity and authority a little bit, yeah? Uh, And I'll just whet your appetites for when I get back. But it's in the presence of God that we begin to discover our true identity. I believe that many of the issues in the church would cease if we truly understood who we are in Christ and our value to Him, and our value to each other. We just read, and I'm going to cherry-pick a few of the scriptures that we read in Ephesians 1.3. It says, Praise to be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing that are in Christ. This is mind-blowing, church. You see, the very moment you receive Jesus Christ into your life, Before you do anything for Him, you are blessed in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. It's like a download from heaven. As you're born again, born of the Spirit, you have access to every spiritual blessing because they are received by faith. They are not achieved. Just as salvation cannot be achieved. And you look at the book of Galatians and Paul is... He's all, he is so direct with the church, so asking them who has bewitched them and all of these things because they're going from grace into works. We are saved by grace and grace alone. And it's out of that revelation that we walk out this with all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And they have some of the blessings and there's so many more, but Paul says, tells us a few of them here. In the next verse, he says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. Before we ever had an opportunity to earn His approval, we were chosen by God, loved and approved by Him. Before we were even born, God knew you. And we could speak on the whole thing a little bit about chosen, because many people, there's theology, if you come from a reform uh, a five-point Calvinist background or something like that, where the, the doctrine of predestination, where it means that God knows already who will be saved. And then you have the evangelical doctrine, which we fall under, uh, where would be classed sort of as an evangelical charismatic church. If you haven't um, heard those terms before, God bless you. <laughs> they just mess you up. <laughs> We're all in Christ. <laughs> but what they believe, 
um, true Calvinism is that God knows who will be saved and God knows who's going to, he- to hell. So what's the point of evangelism? Because God has predestined it and that's a faith. But this is how I see chosen and some of you have heard this before. But to me, it's like a divine romance that God has. Remember, God is a God of love. Everything he does is out of uh, a position of love for us. And in this divine romance, he sees us. And if you look at a husband and a wife, uh, a man will, find, will see a woman that he falls dearly in love with. And in his heart, she starts to become his chosen one. But then he's got to do the kneeling thing and uh, the ring thing. And, and if he was a peacock, start flashing his, his feathers and all of this. And he gets on his knees or however does it and says, will you marry me? Now at that stage, she has a free will choice to say yes or no. See this with salvation. Free will choice. But if she says yes, she then becomes the chosen one. And every time somebody, he chooses God loves the whole world. John 3.16, but it's out of that relationship of love where he chooses the world, he sends his son to die for them, he gives us the free will to choose him or not, and the ones that choose him then become the chosen ones. So we are the chosen people who have accepted him. And if he, you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, I pray that you do today. And he says this, Because of Jesus Christ, we are chosen people, a royal priesthood. This is 1 Peter 2.9. A holy nation, a people belonging to God, in order to declare the praise of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful night. Once you were not a people. Before we chose God as He chooses us, we were not His people. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In John 15, 16, you did not choose me initially. I chose you and appointed you so that you might bear fruit uh, that will last, fruit that will last. We're chosen for purpose. In Ephesians 5, 1 verse 5 to 6, he has another spiritual blessing. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance, with, in accordance with the pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely gave us in the one he loves. Adopted into the family of God. Adoption is an incredible gift. You know, I've been to our, uh, many third world com- uh, countries and Haiti and you name these, these countries, many orphans in that. And when that child, somebody comes and chooses to adopt that child, it's an amazing gift. It's an amazing gift. You see, it's not an act of right, but it's an act of grace. Somebody choose, I want to adopt that little child. And God says that to you. I want to adopt you into my family. Because... Adoptive parents don't have to adopt you. They choose to. 
just as God chose you. And he chooses us. And we choose him. When we choose him, according to Romans 8, 17, we become children of God. And this is more, in, in, this is mind-blowing. Heirs of God and co-heirs. This is um, Romans eight seventeen. sorry. You, please pray for these poor people. I'm all over the show. Looking. <laughs> Saints. <laughs> I would have got out and run out the door by now. But he chooses us. And when we choose him, according to Romans 8, 17, we become children of God, heirs of God, and co-heirs of Christ. Now, this is where we need to understand this. This is our identity, that there's no higher standing in the universe than to be a child of God, an heir of God, and a co-heir with Christ. We don't earn it. We don't strive for it. Just as that little baby that was adopted comes into that family at great cost to that family. And our adoption costs Jesus Christ his life. But as that child comes in, is adopted into that family, they be automatically have equal rights with natural born children. And with us, we have equal rights with God the Son. This is my blowing, a co-heir of God and an heir with Christ. Amazing, amazing. There's no higher standing in the entire universe than to be an heir of God. So we don't strive to gain God's approval. We minister and do things for Him because we are ready approved. And then, it gets better. You can see why we stood, spent couple years in these these two chapters or so. After choosing us and then adopting us, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, He then lavishes His grace upon us. You see, prosperity gospel and all of this stuff out there, and I tell you, it's only in the first world. Blessing has to do with stuff, a new job a new house, a new car. You know, often those things, are, those blessings become curses, especially if they become our idol, especially if we spend more time on that than on God. That blessing becomes a curse. And we've lowered the blessing to stuff. But the blessings are that we are adopted, we are chosen, we are co-heir with Christ. These are spiritual blessings. And First Peter, I've forgotten where it is. He says, you are receiving the goal of your faith. Not more stuff, not a nice house. What about this gospel being preached in the refugee camps in Africa? Do you say, come to Jesus and he'll give you a new car? They've never seen a car. They don't even know what to do with it. But the goal of our faith is this one thing, the salvation of our soul. The fact that we're saved. And we're going to live eternally with Jesus Christ. And if we live in this world with a, where we don't understand our identity, or if we live in, this, in a place where blessing is stuff, when we, then we live in a place of He loves me, He loves me not. 
He loves me. He loves me not. I got a new job. I'm really uh, enjoying it. Three days later, I got fired. God loved me. Thank you for the job. Oh, no, you must hate me. I lost my job. Well, I have this and that. We've got to break that mindset. God wants to bless us. But he doesn't want the blessing to become a curse. He wants the blessing to become a blessing to others. The Abrahamic covenant was established on this when the call is. It says, Abraham, I will bless you. And he wasn't thinking, gee, I'm going to get a palace and a new car and all of this kind of stuff. The only people that get rich in the prosperity gospel are the guys that preach it. But he says this to Abraham. Abraham, I will bless you. Go and read it, Genesis 12. So that, underline, you will be a blessing. That's why. And you can never, ever, ever outgive God. Amen? So you see, this is another. He lavishes grace, so he says this. Ephesians 1.78, he lavishes grace upon our lives. And it says this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us with all spiritual wisdom and understand. And we looked at the scripture last week about this relationship with God, Hebrew 4.16, and it's about coming daily into the presence of God. And I don't want to re-preach it, but I want to just read it to you. Hebrews 4, 6, and he says, we can therefore, because of Jesus Christ, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to read the chapters before to find out what it's there for. Because we have a copy and paste society, we've got to get context. And this is about entering into the rest of God, the context of this passage. And he says, therefore, We can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. And this is just a little praise of that. We come into the very throne room of God and God wants that daily time with us. And when we come in, we come through Jesus Christ and it's the only way we can come into the Holy of Holies. And when we're there... We receive mercy. So we've had a bad day and we come there and we've messed up or, and we say, God, I'm so sorry. Lord, please, I need your help. I need your encouragement. I need all of this. And he gives us mercy. And mercy is simply this. We get what we don't deserve. We deserve to be fried. But he lavishes mercy on us. And then when he's done that, we find more grace for the next day. That's how it is. His mercies, Lamentation says, his mercies are new every day. How, are we living on second-hand, third-hand, fifth-hand mercies? Are we coming? It's for our benefit. God is self-fulfilled in the Godhead. He's not, he's not, he wants a relationship with us, but he's, he's not finding his fulfillment in that. But we do. When we come to Him, saved by grace, sustained by grace, and empowered by grace. And so He has the key. 
That's all a little bit about identity. And if you go back in our archives, we preached on that for a long time. We have the most incredible app that you can put on your iPhone or Samsung. I'm not too good at this stuff. I didn't learn how to work the app, but I can now. It's very So if Oceanside app can be learned by me and to use, anybody can use it. So I'm the test for Andy. And you download it, Oceanside Church app, Nanaimo. And uh, you can download the sermons and so on, if you'd like to. You see, if we don't understand identity, we'll never walk in full authority. We can never walk in the authority that God has. We just read about the incomparably great power that is for us who believe. You see, because... We're supposed to minister out of place of rest and security, not striving to be approved by God, but knowing that we in Christ are already approved, that our approval and identity and affirmation is not in what we do, but in who we are, which is adopted children, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. It's that from that place we're not striving, church, and this is what happens. Because um, people think that, okay, I'm, I, when I get saved, well, you're just a lowly saint. You're just a co-heir with God, and you're just all of that. You know? You just have the highest standing outside of God. But, but if I saint well, maybe I could become a deacon. Wow. And if I deek well... Maybe I'll come an elder, and maybe somebody give me a title. But maybe God hasn't got that for you. Maybe God's got something else. Maybe God wants to encourage you through the ministry of people called to do it. My identity is not in this possession, position, and if it is, I would abuse it. It's in Christ. And your identity may be in the marketplace, Your identity may be somewhere else. And you think, I'm a second-class citizen because I'm not a pastor or an apostle or something. No, you're an heir of God that has been given a mission field in Nanaimo with a sphere of influence through your job, and he so loves you so much that he even gets your boss to pay you to be a missionary. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, McDonald's. More than likely, pays for more missionaries than any church in the world. You go in authority in your identity in Christ, and you go and be who God's called you to do. And when he changes the season, you step out of that and into something new, and you go in Christ. You see... We also need heard and we need to understand that as co-servers of Christ, now we're moving into authority, we are not fighting spiritual battles for victory. Are you doing spiritual battle? We are not fighting for victory, but from a place of victory. From a place of victory. This is not Star Wars, where you have two equal powers of good and bad. This is not Star Wars where, where um, 
um, you know, or is the bad guy going to win or the new guy? I've never, and this is another confession, and Mark, I went way down in his estimation. I've never seen a Star Wars movie in my life. (laughs) So when I say it's not Star Wars, it's because I heard what he told me. So you can blame him. But this kingdom of heaven, Jesus paid the price for our victory. This is not a place where we're fighting for victory. When we understand our authority and when we understand our identity and we understand the incomparably great power that we have, the enemy is in trouble. When the priesthood of all believers, not just a few uh, paid staff or pastors or whatever, when the priesthood of all believers rises up in their authority and they start walking in that authority daily, he's in trouble. And so he just trash talks you. And he does this, and he does that. And if you're not going to the throne of grace, if you're not spending time in that throne of grace, it's not for God's um, self-esteem. It's for us. Come daily to get daily mercy from him and find grace. So when we walk out of there, okay, we can be salt and light in this world in the authority that we have in Christ, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the incomparably great power of Jesus Christ and He Himself, God Almighty, God incarnate said this, you shall even do greater things than me. And we're fighting and battling on all of us. No, we received it when we received that power, that anointing authority, when we receive Christ, when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, power comes upon us and we walk in that. And we walk in that. You see, Ephesians 2, 4 to 7, we read this, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You cannot save yourself. And God raised us up and seated us in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are seated in Christ. We need to understand this church. The church has got to arise. We have got to invade the enemy ground. We have got to bring light to the places. We've got to bring them in Australia. We've got to bring them in Africa. We've got to bring them in Canada, in Nanaimo. We've got to go there in authority and we've got to have an expectation that God is going to do mighty things. The enemy is so afraid that you might actually believe what you say you believe. But Jesus said this about the, 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 the widow who went backwards, uh, back and back, and she, she didn't get a, her to the judge, and she didn't get an answer. And she, eventually the judge said, listen, I'm going to answer her because I just, I can't take this anymore. And she gets it. And Jesus says that at the end of it, it's in Luke. He says, he changes, he always changes, like he's gone one way, and then all of a sudden he drops this in, and he says, however... When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith in the earth? In other words, will we have become unbelieving believers 
who, are, who don't know, like they were, who, the, the thing, sometimes we have to tarry, sometimes we have to press in, sometimes we have to go to the throne room again and again and again before we get an answer, and other times we just say in Jesus' name and it's broken like that. It's not one or the other, it's the same authority. When the Son of Man comes, he says, at the end times, will he find faith in his church? It's so easy to create a theology that says God doesn't move in power because then we've got no responsibility when he doesn't. That was for them. That's not for us. You show me one scripture in there that tells me the date, the time, or anything. As of today, no power. As of today, no baptism. As of you guys in the end times are gonna really have it hard because not only won't you have uh, uh, not only are you going to go th- through trials and tribulations like nothing else, but you will go with it because I'm taking my power out of the church. Does that make sense to any rational mind? You see, the enemy is not afraid of a powerless church. A.W. Tozer said this, in most churches, if God would remove the Holy Spirit it would just carry on as usual and not even know it. And I'm not judging churches, but I'm saying, God, may we not be one of those. May we not be one of them that don't understand the authority and power. May we not be one of them that don't have a relationship with, with Jesus Christ and the anointing of the Holy Spirit on our lives. You see, and all of this, power, authority, everything I have, has got nothing to do with us except faith. So what is faith? Faith is a catalyst that releases the power of God. That's all it is. Faith is like a light switch. We had light problems today, and maybe that was a prophetic thing. I don't know. But when we have light problems, we are not going to the nuclear power plant, which I'm glad we don't have here, to go and see what's going on. We go to the switch and we just switch it on or switch it off. You see, God's not a, like a, God's power never goes off. So what happens is our lives are conduits, like a conduit, an electric cable, and When we tap into the power of God by faith, it's like a light switch. You don't need a light switch this size to put on a million lights. You need a faith of a mustard seed. And when we go there and we tap into that and we just switch on that, activate that faith, things happen by faith. And we want to see those happen. I'm I'm believing, I had this uh, thing on uh, at the prayer meeting on, we do a monthly prayer meeting to start. It was amazing. It was packed. We do it at uh, the Buzz. It was a wonderful time, and it's on our calendar. But I, I had this picture, and I had this picture of a scale. You know the scale, and it's got two weights or a pile of sand or two, two buckets of water on the scale. And I felt that God is wanting to bring the church, has brought the church to a tipping point. 
So I was thinking about what does that mean? Well, you can have these scales and one is full and one is empty and it can take hours and hours depending on how big that scale is to balance it. But when you get it balanced, one more cup of water and it tips very quickly. And God, I believe, is, as, is wanting to bring us to this place like a tipping point. I believe that. I believe it's for the church. We are not, God is not cowering in heaven and Jesus biting his nails, wondering what, uh, the, uh, who, what the world's going to happen to the world. He's seated, relaxed, in charge. And he's waiting for his priesthood. That tipping point where it's not one person, two person, where it starts with 5, 10, 15, 20, 100, then 1,000, then a million, then a billion. The prophet asked, can a nation be saved in a day? And God said, yes, a nation. With the priesthood of all believers understands who they are. You see, Christ disarmed the heavenly powers through his resurrection. It says this in Colossians 2, and I've got one more scripture. Colossians 2, 13 to 15, says this. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all your sins. Having canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He took all us and everything. We know this. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, when he rose from the dead, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. The victory is won. We are not fighting for victory. We're fighting in victory. And like any war, sometimes there are casualties. And we come to our Father. Sometimes we get beat up by the day. Sometimes things happen and we come. We step back and we step into that throne room. If we're not doing that, church, we cannot do this. If that relationship is not working, and this relationship, because we're to encourage one another, we will never see this. And the other thing is, when we step out in our authority, the enemy is not happy. Not to be afraid of this. Do you know the crazy thing about it? I'll tell you a secret. No matter what happens, we win. Even in that box on the ground, we win. We are eternal beings. When we are born again, born of the Spirit, we live with eternity in our lives. We, have, we all live eternally. And some of us will live with Christ. And he wants us to bring more and more and more and more. He wants us to live in that place. But the enemy 
does this. This is his strategy. A few years ago, do you know sometimes, have you ever said, thought this, well, I'm, do, I'm really pushing into God, I'm really wanting to do good, and all hell, hell breaks loose. Then you say, well, it must be me. I must be doing something wrong. Let me tell you, you're doing something right. It's because you are advancing the kingdom. And Luke 11 says, since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing and violent men and women will take it by force. Spiritual violence, prayer, and all of that. And so we're in the church and we're in these four walls and we're happy and we love community and we've just spoke about that relationship. We're happy and we get all our fulfillment in this. And then we leave and we don't give God a thought or we uh, do go about our day not asking God what it is he wants us to do. And everything is cozy in the church. We all love each other and uh, uh, everything's going well. But then we say, no, we're an army also. We're the bride of Christ. And that looks weird to a guy. But it's a bride with army boots on. It's a bride with army boots on. And I tell you, I can just see that bride giving it. And so, we come out of here, and this is our sphere. If this is Oceanside's corporately sphere of influence in the city, and this whole area represents the city, as long as we're in this box, he just ruffles our feathers a little bit every now and then. But we say, no, we want to take that, and we start walking out here. He does this, 1 Peter 5, the enemy comes like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can do. And God says, submit to me and humble yourself. That's all we've got to do. But when a lion roars and when stuff comes, we want to run back to our security and we come here and everything's peaceful again. Oh, this is such a lovely place. I just love it. And then we try again. We need to understand this is a war, but he's a defeated foe. He's a lion without teeth. He might be able to gum you a bit, but that's about it. He's a true enemy. But we need to advance. So we come out, to, and today I want to do this, and I do it, and things happen. Then we go to our Father, and we say, Father, please help me, and he, he gives us mercy and grace. Then we go to our community if it's really bad, and we get encouraged by each other, and we might have taken one millimeter. But it's an advancement. And God is happy and, and all of that. And we have these angelic hosts. We should preach on angels. Do you know that Daniel, for 21 days, went through hell, thinking that nobody was listening. And all of a sudden, the angel arrives. He says, since the day you set your heart for prayer, I was sent. And then I had this huge war in heaven between the angelic hosts and the demonic hosts. And he comes come to Dan. Daniel was there for 24 days. What the heck is going on? Does anybody hear me? He activated that spiritual force. I'm telling you, the armies of the Lord got activated because their role, one of their roles is to protect the priesthood and the children of God. And 
Daniel Roberts said, wow, all of that was going on. I thought I was going to die. And so Jesus says this in Mark 16. Now, he didn't say this, listen, for the first 40 years of the church or when the apostles are still alive and, and after about 60, 100 years, I'm going to switch the power off uh, and you guys can walk around in the dark, spiritual darkness. He is about to go back to heaven. And he's with his disciples, Mark 16, 15 to 19. And Jesus commissions them after the resurrection because it was in the resurrection that the power was released. He says, the incomparably great power in Ephesians, that is for us who believe. It's not for unbelieving believers. But it's the power, he says, that he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms far above all authorities. That incorruptly great power, Jesus said, would be ours. And we want the big nuclear generator, and God says it's just a light switch. Tap into that. And so he says this, whoever believes in me, whoever, okay, not just these crazy people in Jingapot Road in the gymnasium. Whoever believes in me and is baptized, we're going to do a baptism. Why do I need to be baptized? I'm glad you asked. Speak to Mark Monfredi, <laughs> and he will show you, tell you why. Will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. So it's black and white. These signs will accompany believing believers. In my name, not in our authority, Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, not our own strength. The victory that Jesus said, in my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. This is Jesus. They will go to places and may stick a hand under a leaf and pick up a snake by, by mistake. This is not this test God and let's get a cobra and hold it here and say, God, well, it's a sure way to get to heaven quicker. <laughs> these are for, these things, these poisons are that as for when you're on mission. Stuff happens. When you're on mission, the enemy's trying to take you out. They will drive out demons. You know, wherever Jesus went, Demons flee. Loudly, frothing, foamily, on the ground. And religious people said, he must be of the devil. Because wherever he is, this happens. It's the very reason the demons fleed was because they knew the authority in Jesus Christ. And we need to see that. And what happens if it happens? I've preached in Africa. I've seen people levitate, fall under, fall down, and levitate like a snake, <laughs> like this, and get set. Do you know the African pastors, African people, they're not running out the doors. They're taking authority of this thing. They cast it out, and then they carry on preaching. 
I've been in Africa and done teaching and on healing and all of this. And no jokes, in villages and that. I love, I've been to places, I went to a place in Africa with some guys, believe it or not, where they had these Africans that never seen a white face. Can you imagine how silly and ugly we look if you've never seen it? A ghost, a ghost. Ran. We go to these places. And then through interpreters and whoever, how we can, we teach him. You know, Jesus died for you. Oh, thank you, Lord. You know that he saved you. Yes, okay. You know that he's given you power to do these things. Thank you, thank you. And you've got normally pictures and all of that. And you're drawing them or whatever. And you go away. And you've got your little pictures for your church magazine. And you feel good. I've been on a mission trip. I told these heathens what to do, and now they're all saved. You go back the next year. They say, so that person died, we rose him from the dead. That person had leprosy. That person had AIDS. They are saved and healed. What's next? Can I take pictures? Can I take pictures? They believe. Childlike faith. They just believe. They have no plan B. They haven't got a medical system. No plan B. It's absolutely phenomenal. And the demonic is gone, people are getting set free. But if that happens here, oh, that church must be of the devil. That's what they said of Jesus. Maybe it's a badge of honor from religion. And I'm not wanting to make things happen, but I pray that they do. It will not hurt them. And they place their hand on the sick, and they will get well. And this is it. And after the Lord had spoken to them, he ascended into heaven and sat down, chilling at the right hand of the Father. Chillaxed. He's there. It's finished. Now I'm going to empower my people and they're going to kick some butt if they believe this. Can we become believing believers, church? There's a cost, there's a price. But I tell you what the reward is. Salvation for many. People set free from demonic oppression. When you open yourself up to pornography or something like that and it is so easy and I've sit with pastors that have got involved in it. Not intentionally. And they try and they try. They've opened themselves to a spirit of lust. A spirit of pornography. They open themselves to this and we're trying to counsel them out of it. And yes, throw your computer away or whatever. They can do that, but they are never really free. But when God, the Holy Spirit, comes and sets them free in an instant from that, the things they used to do, they don't want to do no more. It is rife. It is rife. I tell you, in, in, in our young days in South Africa, pornography was banned, but it was still there. You had to go through a whole lot of stuff to get Bad books. And as a teenager unsaved, I went through a whole lot of stuff sometimes with my mates. Now, you can be looking at something innocent and all of a sudden, and the enemy starts. And now we're embarrassed and now we're afraid. What will people think? And the enemy is laughing because he knows unless we confess our sins to each other, we cannot get set free. The other side of this People come and get open in the church and, and a leader, a leader comes and he says, I need help. The church hear about it, they want to fire him. 
why would he ever be honest? Why would you ever be honest if you went to another Christian and told them the really things in your life that were, were, that were keeping you from fulfilling your call and they go and advertise it to everybody else? Meantime, they've got a fat plank in their eyes smacking everybody on the head wherever they go. You see, God gives grace to humble. It is a privilege that somebody would trust you and that they would humble themselves to the point, I want to be set free. And God wants us to be set free. We've got to become a place, church, of love, a community that honors one another above ourselves, a community that honors God above ourselves, and a community that walks in the power of the Holy Spirit because that's what God's called us to. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Can I have the worship team, please? Yeah, okay. I want you to start Amazing Grace with Worthy is the Lamb. That's the point of it. Now, you can do it. If we could please stand. He has been a sound guy with me because I switched this thing on and off by mistake. But if we could just quiet our hearts for a moment. Church, I only stand here by the grace and mercy of God. No different than you. And if we could just close our eyes and op- if you mind, just, just open your hands so God can begin to touch you and fill you with His presence. He wants to set you free, church. He wants to set me free. He's not faced by our sin. David, King David, committed adultery and he arranged a murder. There was consequence, but he was forgiven. And in Acts 13, Paul speaking in Presidian Antioch, Says God says this of David, I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I asked him to do. No, David didn't do everything I asked him to do, but God forgave him and set him free and remembered it no more. He gave him a new start. And all he's looking is for our hearts. We just give the stuff to him. And if we can't do it ourselves, find someone that we can trust. And if that's you, hold that trust dearly. We want to see the Holy Spirit begin to move. The power of God was released in our lives. So as we sing this song, the Holy Spirit, this, receive from Him.